Please. Welcome everybody to the CT Pro Podcast. Here today we have uh, Chris Nichols. I'm going to introduce him in a second, but uh, first of all, just to say we are CG Pro and we're a school. If you want to find out more about what we do, follow us at becomecgpro.com. So uh, yeah, it gives me great pleasure today to welcome Chris. Chris is a, has an amazing had an amazing career, an amazing background in the CG industry. He is director of the Chaos Group Labs and um, has been a CG artist going back a, uh, a long way and worked at some incredible studios like Digital Domain, um, really world-class visual effects. Um, just, yeah, really, really amazing, amazing depth of skills across the CG spectrum um, and uh, background in visual effects and architecture and uh, a real, real passion for innovation. I think that's why he's ended up in the position he's in. But uh, yeah, Chris, welcome. Thank you so much Thanks for joining so us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Yeah. So um, I'd love to start this off just by asking you a little bit about the, the beginning of your journey into visual effects. Um, what, how it began, if you had any kind of early inspirations that, that from film or anything like that, that kind of led you into wanting to pursue computer graphics. You know, it's interesting. I, 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 it wasn't a film and I didn't really know if I was going to get into uh, visual effects or move or filmmaking of that nature, but I did become very interested in computers for a very, very young age. And, um, I was doing um, when I went to, uh, and I always thought I was going to be an architect, right? So as I started to go into, uh, to study architecture, or I didn't want to study architecture right away. I decided I want to get a degree in something different and sort of do a master's of architecture. But as I started doing that, I decided I was going to study mathematics and I was going to study uh, uh, art in, arch in, in, in undergraduate. And as I got into math, I got introduced to this amazing computer called Next Computer. I don't know if you remember those Next Computers. That yeah. Steve Jobs did before he, after he got fired from Apple, he started this Next Computer thing. And it was pretty amazing because uh, it had this program called Mathematica. And I was really getting into visualization in mathematics and I like really seeing, understanding things. Um, and I started looking at, um, developing a, a system with Mathematica to visualize uh, four-dimensional spaces. Um, and wow. it was kind of an interesting exercise. And I, I got into the idea of seeing things that aren't there yet or whatever, visualization. And I started realizing in architecture, that's a cool thing, visualizing architecture. So when I ended up going to architecture school, I started learning visualization stuff. And uh, I went to Rice University and they had these, um, uh, they, they had a, a lab there called uh, uh, the Ravel, which was the Rice Advanced Visualization Lab. And they just bought these SGIs for the for the foreign architecture school. Think about that, right? Um, and then yeah. no one knew what to do with them because they're like, what do we do with this thing? And they had Wavefront on them, right? And I was right. like, and so I was the only one that like, no architect was going to start learning Wavefront. It just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, but I started learning Wavefront and I thought of getting interested in that. And I was like, there's no use for this in architecture, but I'm fascinated by it. And then, of course, I found out, you know, Jurassic Park was done with Wavefront and, and the Alias and stuff like that. So I got really into 
that and sort of understanding, well, if I really want to get into this, stuff, I need to understand how things are done in visual effects. And so I got kind of into it, but I also got into visualization for architecture. And I ended up working at a big architecture vis uh, architecture company called Gensler. So it's actually the largest architecture company in the world. And I really got into it uh, quite a bit. And, uh, and so um, I worked there for about five years and it was going pretty well. And, but uh, at that point, I started to, uh, there was something happening and it's around 2001 or so, 2002. It was just at the end of my career there. Uh, there was a big problem being solved in architecture, which was how do you visualize light correctly? Because at that point, everyone was still using rasterized rendering solutions and there wasn't a good way to look at light correctly. Uh, and so uh, I looked at it and I said, well, <clears throat> there's gotta be better ways of doing this. And so I really started investigating ray tracing and more specifically uh, global illumination. And I really got into that. And right at that time, there was a, uh, there was a sort of a battle of ray tracers happening. Uh, and it was, there was three big new ones that were all plugins for 3ds max, which is a lot of people were using. And there was one called final render it was done by a company out of Germany called CBOS. There was another one called Brazil, which was done by a company called uh, Splutterfish. There was a couple of guys who are, that start from blur. And then there was another one called V-Ray written by this guy, Vlado, uh, who Never had, <laughs> yeah, he, 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 and he had put it up, uh, as a, as a, as a free beta for people to test out on a Delphi forum. Right. And I started to uh, look at that and I was like, oh my God, this is like, and it, they're all kind of doing similar things, but the V-Ray one was the simplest one for me. Like mm -hmm. it was the fastest at actually giving you a, a, a a global nation problem and global nation was a huge problem that needed to be solved in architecture right because it's like the light in this room i mean that's all through global illumination, right <laughs> there's yeah. there's just through the windows and everything that's happening so it was a real big problem and i was like this is brilliant because before we had to hack everything right to make it look right and so that was sort of the thing that got me into like ray tracing and i really got passionate about it um and it was it was kind of cool and then uh not Right not along that time, uh, I got a, an email from a friend of mine called Eric Hansen. I don't know if you know Eric or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eric. <laughs> so uh, he said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm back at Digital Domain, and, and uh, we're about to start on this really big movie, and we need people who can uh, do buildings because we have to build uh, like all of New York for this movie called Day After Tomorrow. So uh, I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. And so that's... I sort of debated whether I want to stay with architecture or not. And uh, uh, it was, it was, I think the thing that really got to me was uh, I had a really great, a really great uh, sort of uh, uh, vice president for my, for my department. Uh, and sh she was, you know, I said, I really, you know, I'm an architect. I want to be a designer. I don't want to be the guy who just knows how to do CG. She goes, listen, Chris, we can find designers at this point. We can't find people like you. And so you're really good at the computers. I was like, but I'll give you a chance to do some design projects. And I was like, okay. So they put me on a design team uh, and it was to do some interior office. And, and they started going through all the requirements of the fire ratings on the doors and the handicap rails. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I don't, I don't care about this. I, <laughs> I like making the... <laughs> 
<laughs> I like making the pictures. And so that's, I think, the sort of the thing that sort of like led me to believe is like, well, I think I'm gonna gonna go into the movies because then I can still make buildings, but uh, I don't have to care, care if they fall down or not because they're sort of movies, right? So, so yeah. I think that's what kind of make them fall down on purpose. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, so that's how I got into visual effects. Amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting, especially in in some of the earlier days of VFX, how people got into it, because they were basically kind of like where we are now. People then were trying to figure out how offline rendering worked and they had to bring people from all these different specialisms together to work it out. So yeah. it must have been really, really an exciting time. It, it was, it was, but it was also very strange to me because, you know, I just sort of came from the architecture world where we were solving major global illumination problems, right? And then I went back to visual effects where I assumed everything was going to be super high-end visual effects. And they're like, ray tracing is way too expensive. You have to fake everything with rasterized rendering and RenderMan. And I'm like, we have this great thing called ambient occlusion. I said, that's not real. That's not real GI. And I got really upset about it. And I used to fight them on it all the time. I was, I was probably the biggest asshole is like you gotta ray trace everything and you know it was really funny they just didn't they just did not they just did not like the idea of ray tracing back then but i think eventually you know after a while it was just you know it, it just didn't make any sense anymore even though ray tracing was slower it was the huge amount of work that you had to do to make things look better with rasterized rendering right so it was like yeah. you, you had an army of shader writers and technical directors to support all the hacks that you had to do to make the thing look real. You could always make it look real. You just had a huge army of stuff that was going on there. And so it was kind of, um, you know, it was interesting. And then when, when, when eventually around, you know, 2006 to 2009, they started changing the way that visual effects were being done and they were started using a lot more pure ray tracers. I mean, obviously people were using mental ray for a while, but they started using V-Ray more often and a few other solutions and Arnold. Um, then the, you didn't need the army of TDs anymore, right? It became much, much simpler. So um, it was kind of, kind of interesting. So for sure. It was a uh, uh, cars, right? In uh, RenderMan, that was when ray tracing started to be introduced in RenderMan. Yes, when they were the bragging thing. about the fact that it took 36 hours of frames. <laughs> so yeah. Was like, yeah. yeah. What, what, at yeah. what point, <clears throat> so you were at DD when they switched from RenderMan to V-Ray? I wasn't no well, you know, it's interesting. I was I was at DD uh, for a couple of stints, right? So I went to I went to day after tomorrow uh for there for there after tomorrow and then after that i moved on to irobot which was also a lot of fun uh and then i went on to this fabulous movie called stealth that no one saw it's actually not that good it's probably it's up there with the movies that you don't really want to mention too much but uh it was a really really tough problem on stealth because there was they were doing a lot of hacks to make these planes look real and so it was one of those things that was going on there but um and then after a while, you know, a lot of people sort of move on and by different uh, positions. And so I was offered a job at Sony and a lot of people were working at Sony at the time. And I went to go work on uh, Ghost Rider there. Uh, cool. And uh, that was the last, the last show that Sony used burps on, which was kind of an interesting thing. So talking about old school lighting tools. Uh, and so that was something interesting. Um, 
And then I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I, Sony was huge at that point. It was over a thousand people working there on Sony movies. It was one of their, the biggest times that, that Sony was. And um, I was my, my supervisor was a guy named Kevin Mack. I don't know if you know Kevin, but he's yeah, a wonderful okay. person. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's a wonderful person. And I and and uh, I I told Kevin I was like, hey, can I invite you out to lunch? I want some career advice. Uh, and it was interesting because we, he and I both worked at Sony, which is this big thing. And in order to, you know, at a big company like Sony, in order to progress, you sort of have to make the steps of like, you're a lead. Now you're a CG supervisor. Now you're this, now you're, and then, and it could take years for you to, to sort of make those, those jumps and you sort of have to wait your turn. Right. And so I said, you know, I'm, I mean, it's like, I, I, I would like to sort of think of what it would take for me to become a become a VFX supervisor. What are the steps I need to take? What are the the leadership skills, whatever? And he said, you know what I would do, Chris? And he didn't hear us from me, but I would leave Sony. <laughs> <laughs> so that he basically said, you know, go work for a small shop somewhere, like maybe even do commercial work for a little bit and just jump right into some of those places will hire you as a CG supervisor as, or as a VFX supervisor, depending on your skill set and what you do and what you're bringing to the table. And, or you can get there much quicker and then you will learn a lot faster because you'll be put into these situations. So that's exactly what I did. And I ended up uh, going to work. Uh, well, first I went for a short amount of time to I went to a company called SpeedShape. Uh, and then uh, not long after that, I uh, went to as a VFX supervisor over at a company called Sway, um, which did some really, really awesome car commercials. This is during the height of car commercials uh, when they were, you know, people would actually spend like a million dollars on a car commercial or more, right? And uh, one of the advantages we had at Sway uh, was, uh, well, first of all, we made our cars look good because we had really good. Uh, 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 guys on the lighting side and on the shading side of things. So it was really cool. But the other big advantage that Sway had, it had a car simulator called uh, Drivatron. And it was written by a guy named Graham Fife. Uh, Great name. Gr yeah, the, the Drivatron was incredible. It was such a cool thing. And you basically had a steering wheel and you did everything. But uh, it had this, I mean, it would put, it would squish the tires when you would go in different directions, depending mm -hmm. on the air on the tires, it would leave it, uh, it would leave, um, uh, 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 red and green marks on the, uh, on the, on the road, uh, for tire screeches when he would lose traction. It would, it just did absolutely. And Graham developed an anti-lock brake system an anti uh, four wheel drive system or an all wheel drive system. It was just amazing, and it would look so good uh, that it was it was kind of an incredible situation. And I remember uh, one of the things. This is a great story, but I'm just real quick. One of our our executive producers, she was really excited about it, but she came from the live action world, so she she brought she invited this stunt driver, professional stunt driver who was retired, to come by and suggest, "Hey, why don't you come by?" And you know you can be the official driver of the Drivatron and do all these cool stuff. Cause you could just, you literally could just do anything and it looked perfect. He looked, took one look at it and he's, and he says, can I see you outside? And he saw her and then he walked away. And I was like, what happened? And he uh, said, Oh, I didn't even realize it. No one wants to work 
like he said, if I work for you guys, I'm going to take so many jobs away from my friends because mm. there's no risk in driving a simulator and they get paid by like all these things. Right. How we were taking a yeah. Ford. F yeah. We were taking a Ford F-150 and jumping it over these huge ramps. You hit the roll button and it crashes. You just hit the reset button and do it over again. Right. So like yeah. he, that's, that's, that, that was terrible. So he's like, Nope, can't, can't do it for you guys. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> so that's so, cool. yeah. So that was after sway. I went to method for a little bit. Um, uh, th that was kind of fun. They were doing a commercial work there and I was doing a bunch of, again, car commercials. I did some really fun work for, for Scion. Um, and then, uh, I got a call from some guys at DD again saying, Hey, we really want you to come by and work on, uh, I'm going to say another car commercial, uh, called Tron. So, uh, <laughs> big, big car commercial, very big long. Car commercial. Yeah. Well, I did. And yeah. And so I ended up going, uh, I ended up going, becoming uh, the the leads on the um uh on the light bike sequence which is basically basically a, a nine minute car commercial uh and it was it was awesome it was a lot of fun uh and uh i loved i loved uh working with joe kaczynski uh he was a very very smart guy also an ex-architect um right. and uh he is uh and he was an architect right around the same or he was going through architecture school around the same time as i was so i remember very specifically he and i were really into cg he was over at columbia and i was over at rice and i would post some cg stuff and he'd post some cg stuff but his career obviously took off uh quite well um and in fact uh you know i'm very excited to see uh to see uh um the new top gun film that's coming out i just realized he's got a oh, new cool. film yeah he's got a new film uh that just came out it's coming out on netflix called uh spider spider something that looks spider amazing yeah. spider Spider pick? Is that what it is? Spider pick? No, no, I was joking. Yeah, it's spider something, but it looks really, it look looks it really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know it's got amazing architecture, of course, because it's Joe. Um, and so that was fun uh, working on Tron uh, with him. And I ended up uh, uh, following that up uh, with um, I did Girl with a Dragon Tattoo for a little bit, and then I did Oblivion, which was a lot mm, of fun. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then after Oblivion, uh, I forgot. I did. I did. I did. Uh, worked on Forty Seven Ronin for a little bit, um, and then uh, and then I worked on Maleficent, uh, and that was my last show. I did. It was Maleficent, so right. it was a while ago. Yeah. So that was the point where you jumped across to Chaos Group. I did. Yeah. Uh, the reason. Yeah, it was interesting. It was around that time. You know, this was. I call it the one of the the dark times in the visual effects world, and it's you know no one's fault. I call it the, the life of pie days, right? When right. when things were not necessarily like, and all these visual effects companies were sort of desperate to try to stay alive, and the 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 studios around the world were pretty much telling them the only way that they would ever get work is if they moved to Vancouver. So, um, you know, now I I just didn't want to do it my wife had a good career here and i'm not going to force her and my, my my kids to move to vancouver and um and i knew that i wouldn't necessarily continue growing uh if i stayed in la so i didn't want to do it um and um it was it was kind of like so uh i didn't know what to do but like i said i've been friends with vlado and peter uh who are the founders of chaos uh for forever since the beginning 
Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was told, uh, I didn't realize that I was told a couple of years ago that I bought, I probably bought the first license of V-Ray that ever was bought <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> at Kensler. So you um, used it in the, in the demo before that, right? You you were saying it was like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But be, when it trial. became an actual product, yeah. then they said, oh yeah, we want to buy it. And I, and I was at, at yeah, at, at Gensler, I, I, I said, let's buy it because this is great. And it, they use it. Gensler obviously still a customer to this day. Um, and so, uh, but anyway, so Vlado and Peter were talking to me about, you know, what's going on. And uh, my friend uh, Lon, uh, who had started at Chaos, uh, Couple, while I was still working on Oblivion, or maybe it was Maleficent, I don't remember, but he had, st he had started working at Chaos, and he, he opened up the LA office. It was just him for a little bit. Uh, but he he came up to me at some point, uh, and it was V-Ray's 10th anniversary, which, by the way, was 10 years ago, because this year is V-Ray's 20th anniversary. Wow. Uh, Happy so, birthday. <laughs> thank you. Well, I'll say that to Vlado. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he said... Uh, they wanted to do this this special thing for Vlado and Peter to congratulate them on ten years of, of V-Ray, and so uh, we came up with an idea to do this uh, this video called V-Ray IRL, which is uh, where uh, a bunch of us in the who who've been longtime V-Ray users in the industry, uh, we made this complete spoof video where we decided to uh, rob a bank while talking about all the great features of V-Ray, uh, and. and <laughs> Uh, it uh, that video kind of went crazy uh, on the internet. It actually became pretty pretty interesting. It oh, was directed I seen by. It. Please please share a link. Uh, oh, you got to see it. It's really it. it's really goofy. Uh, it and it starts off looking really terrible, like oh this is embarrassing, and then it escalates and escalates. We had car crashes and car chases and there's blood and violence and it's pretty ridiculous. And it was all directed by Dan Thrawn. I don't know if you know Dan, but it was, oh cool pretty pretty hilarious so so yeah so we we did that and i sort of was like this is kind of fun i like the creativity of this of this of this project so it was it was a lot of fun so anyway they said hey we want to um we want to be able to uh uh you know do some uh some interesting things at chaos and though they decided to open up um this thing called um uh, chaos labs or chaos group labs now it's now it's just chaos labs but uh and basically the idea was you know i'd been working in the industry for a long time and i knew a lot of different people i could sort of have my pulse on what's going on and sort of uh look at what's what's happening in the industry and and sort of suggest some interesting creative projects that we could work on that would test some new software or put some ideas out there, figure out, you know, different relationships with different customers and, and kind of the idea of like, you know, just like a lab really like, Hey, at least right. they want you want to try some new ideas. So, so that's when the whole idea happened. And I sort of moved over to, to chaos and we officially got an office in Culver city and there you go. So that's how it all started. And that was about uh, almost eight and a half years ago. So. Fantastic. Another, another must have been again a really exciting time to get to build build that from scratch. Yeah, it it, it was it was it was it was great. Uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, I really uh, sort of uh, uh, loved was um, there was there was it was interesting. Like one of the first projects, and still, and I still love this project. One of the first projects uh, that I I enjoyed was uh, the the construct project. 
um, and uh, it was sort of centered around uh, virtual production. We didn't actually start being centered around virtual production, but the idea was uh, Kevin Kevin Margo, who's the director and creator of Construct, he wanted to some help on creating his short, right? And he he was a VFX supervisor over at Blur, and uh, he said, "Hey, I want to do this short, uh, and you know, I'd love to you know work with Chaos and maybe do some rendering." So I said, "Okay, well." why don't we try some new stuff? And um, back then we had, we'd been, Chaos had been uh, developed their GU render since about 2008. Uh, but uh, GUs were never powerful enough to sort of, or more specifically, didn't ever have enough memory to sort of really create big final frame renders. You'd always run out of memory on the on the GPUs. So, uh, but around two, around 2013 or so, when when we were working on Construct, uh, Nvidia just released the K6000s, which had 12 gigs of video memory, which by then was like huge, like the biggest you ever got before was like six or something like that. So uh, we said this may be enough RAM to do final frame stuff, and um, the so we said okay, so we said Kevin, why don't we try doing your whole short on the GPU? And NVIDIA, of course, wants to sell GPUs. So they said, we will totally support you on this, right? And so bet, yeah. they, they, and that was great because they saw a new market for GPUs, right? Not just games anymore or whatever. Uh, so um, they, I'm not kidding you, they sent us $50,000 worth of GPUs and like this big box wow. of GPUs which arrived at the office. And uh, and so, and then uh, Box Computers also decided to, uh, to come on board and they would they we put them into these machines we just sort of made all these machines and we gave them to kevin and said let's see what we can do and so he started working on short and he started realizing with these at the time you know, like very very fast gpus that the rendering was so fast that he was getting a result in like you know less than a second that was kind of visible it was grainy but it gets visible and so he said, you know, I'm video cap, I'm, I'm doing all the mocap for this short. What if we could get V-Ray inside of Motion Builder, right? Mm. And that was kind of like this weird problem that we were coming up with. This, this wasn't the initial thought, but it was Kevin's idea. And I was like, well, this is an interesting thing. Um, and at the time, and we just looked, this is the perfect labs project for me. At the time, we were starting to develop this new thing called App SDK, and we which we still have around. But the idea of App SDK is it puts V-Ray inside of a black box, which allows you to connect to it very easily through any language. You want to do it with Java or C++ or Python or whatever you want, and you can connect to it really easily from other applications. And we said, well, could we use App SDK? And as an example, make it work inside of Motion Builder, which it just didn't seem possible to do. Well, it was like, well, this is a perfect thing to test out, right? And so I said, yeah. So let's. Um, so we did that, um, and uh, uh, and it worked. And we actually were able to fully ray trace construct while inside of Motion Builder, and we're like hold on <laughs> this changes everything and it was the thing that we were like because you know motion oh, well you've worked in motion builder ad so right? yeah it never really looks exactly the way it's going to look on the movie right not it's really gonna not. look yeah <laughs> <laughs> right but it's going to give you some kind of representation but it's not it's just like eh, you know but once we started ray tracing it with the same shaders that we were going to use for final frame and the same lighting that we were going to use for the final frame, I mean, it looked grainy, but you got the idea, right? 
And then we had this mode where we called it the Polaroid mode, where you frame it kind of like I stand in this way and I hit the click button, which is the Polaroid mode, where it would just freeze everything and it would resolve over a couple of seconds. And then you would not see the grain anymore. And that would be something like, you know, you could set the lighting a little better that way. But you would do it while motion capturing, which was kind of awesome. Uh, right. So that's when we started. That's That began my very long passion for bringing ray tracing to virtual production, <laughs> which I've been doing from the beginning at this point. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting to to hear about that because I think the, the sort of maybe slightly better known version of the, of the journey we're going through Avatar where they were using Motion Builder and then progressing mm -hmm. into Jungle Book where we started using Unity, but um, yep. puppeteering it from Motion Builder and then rendering it in Photon, which was kind of strapped to the side of Unity and then evolving right. it from there. But yeah, really really amazing to see where it's where it's going and i've definitely been a, a part of that um journey myself but seeing seeing where we've got to now where, where the things that you're you were talking about earlier on the the challenges of making ray tracing feasible offline basically like people saying it was going to take too long even when you had hours to sit around for one frame they're still saying it's taking too long but now now it's starting to come into real time into being able to actually Right. I know it, we're still in the sort of hybrid sense um, in in general and things like Unreal, but it's now starting right. to starting to become available at least in bits of frames in real time for actual production and even for actual yeah. filming. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and that's been sort of the thing that I've been interested in, right? So, what what real time means to me is the experience of it and not necessarily just the rendering part of things. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that's sort of the thing that's been amazing. And obviously, you know, like you said, like a lot of things that have evolved since then is that, you know, 10 years, eight years ago, whatever it was, I mean, uh, people weren't using game engines to do virtual production. Right. Yeah. And so now that's been the big change. And, it's such a huge upgrade from what was possible in Motion Builder in some ways, uh, because there's so much you can do inside of a game engine, right? It, the game engines are literally built to make a real-time experience of a virtual environment, yeah. right? I mean, that's what games are, that's right? What they're for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the thing that it is, and I've always sort of loved the real-time experience because, you know, especially when we were doing things, for example, on Construct is you make decisions at the moment, right? You make decisions, oh, no, I want the lighting to look like this. And then you sort of empower the filmmakers to do what they have to do because before then, they sort of like, I don't know, I'm looking at this motion builder grayscale something, and I just hope that it's going to look good after it comes out the other end in nine months, right? And so yeah. now that like, no, that they can actually see the lighting, they can actually see camera lenses, they can see the different things. So that's a really cool experience, but in my mind, uh, the we're still at that same problem that I had when I first came into DD. You know, like we don't do real good global illumination with rasterized rendering. You you, you can't, right? Yeah. You don't, and and you don't do. Now you can, and you know, it makes rasterized rendering look great, just like you could back in, you know, two thousand two, but you just have to work a lot more to make sure you can do that, right? And then you have to optimize your scene for the amount of polygons that it needs, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. So there was always these 
these problems that you had to solve uh, that were taking away from your creative decision making, right? And I think that's what happened when people started, you know, on the offline side of things, when people started ray tracing, it became better to do it that way. So uh, to, to ray trace, because then you didn't have to make those compromises. So I believe that now is the beginning of that moment again, where we, for the real-time world. And so what game engines are bringing to uh, to virtual production is an incredible experience, right? Because you are it's you're assembling all of these things and you're able to perform this capture and you can see so much better of what it is. But there's that, what I'm interested in is that missing gap of the real-time ray tracing inside of that process. So to introduce that. And I think what's important about it is then, you know, what happens is that you can do all of your look dev and your asset building and stuff with the tracing solution. Bring that, you know, this, which is what I'm working on now. So, uh, so uh, basically, uh, if you use V-Ray throughout the whole process, including the virtual production thing, this is basically what I'll, I'll tell you my pipeline. <laughs> right. right. So you start with, you start with your asset building uh, and then you bring in all of your assets and you, and you do everything you're supposed to do. Uh, and then uh, you do it all in V-Ray, you're looking in V-Ray, and then we use, uh, we have a new uh, a new real-time ray tracing solution called Vantage, uh, which Chaos has. And Vantage uh, takes advantage of the RT cores and is super, super, super fast, right, as a ray tracer. Now, what it does in order to be super, super, super fast is that it, it doesn't include all the features that you would have with a full ray tracer, like subsurface scattering, certain hair shaders, things of that nature, right? But it does everything else really fast um, and it, it'll look really good. So you can use, um, uh, but you can still use V-Ray shaders to make it work because it just reads the V-Ray shaders as any other shader. Then you can take that whole, all your assets, your environments, everything else, you can bring them inside of, um, of Unreal using V-Ray for Unreal as a, uh, when what V-Ray for Unreal does is it imports all of data, uh, brings in the lights, the geometry, and for the shaders, it'll sort of make an equivalent shader in Unreal for visual representation in Unreal, uh, but it'll also maintain all the V-Ray shaders. And then what's what's cool is that then what you can do is when you do your motion capture, um, you can do a live link back to Vantage. Mm -hmm. So you can do a full ray trace of your scene while you're motion capturing in Unreal. Uh, and then the thing is, okay, well then I've done that. And then the, the other thing you can do is, okay, now that I've got all my performance capture or whatever I can do, now I can still go full ray traced offline to get all the features or the quality levels or anything else I want. I can just keep going and still use the same render. So the render stays consistent throughout it. Because right now, if you don't do that, you have to build it twice. You have to build it for Unreal, and you have to build it for V-Ray or for RenderMan or Arnold or whatever it is, and then you sort of segment it. and And I, you know, I I keep jokingly, it's like I graduated from rasterized rendering in 2006. I never want to render a uh, a shadow map again. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> so it was just something I I, I sort of uh, said to myself. So. I, I think that if you do a full ray trace, that's the way it's it's gonna it's gonna work, and that's that's what I'm excited to uh, to have happen. So, so that's what I've been working on. Uh, I've been working um, uh, with uh, I think some you you guys know really well, Sally Slade, and uh, yep. they've been working over at uh, uh, Voltaku and sort of helping them out with some of the cool technology uh, that they're trying to do. 
Um, so I've been doing this on the, working on this project called Killtopia with them and sort of, you know, basically kicking the tires on this kind of technology and seeing what we can do. And so it's really nice uh, to see how far we've gotten, honestly speaking, because um, a lot has happened. Let's just put it uh, in the technology side of things, both in software and hardware since Construct, because um, I was joking with Vlado. So remember, we did this thing on, on Construct, for example. Uh, we wanted to see how good an image we could get if we threw a crap of G ton of GPUs on the system. So we've made this version of V-Ray for, uh, for Motion Builder that ran on four VCAs. I don't know if you remember what a VCA is. Okay. The VCA had eight GPUs in it, right? So it running on four VCAs, we ran 32 GPUs to see how good an image we can get with 32 GPUs rendering this this image. And so at a resolution of 960, and it was around 2014, I believe, and resolution of 960 by 540, we were getting a, a manageable grain. Like it, it was still grainy, but you could definitely see the image clearly at about 20 frames a second or so, right? right? Okay, and uh, I've been doing it now, and I hear, here's an example, right? Here's, this is a laptop <laughs> <laughs> with, with a uh, uh, an A5000 in it, right? GPU, and I can get this laptop to do the same construct scene, and it looks pretty darn clean at 45 frames a second. <laughs> right. So it's a big, not 32 big graphics so cards. Yeah, not thirty-two graphics cards. A laptop, and that's yep. a testimony both of you know the RTX stuff that's going on, as well as obviously V-Ray's now acceleration process and NVIDIA drivers, and so a lot's happened now. So I was like, forget it. You know, we can just we can invest. This is it's now, right? I can go, I can go on set on a laptop and do ray traced images uh, live while capturing in Unreal. It's that's it's the time to do it, right? So I, I really feel that this is um, this is kind of a, a cool cool thing to do. I I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> it allows you to be able to not only see what you're as close to the final result as you possibly can to make all those creative decisions, but also brings it brings people together into such a new way where the world of visual effects and filmmaking were completely separate before. The thing I love about this is it is now bringing all those people together you can actually play in real time and actually talk to each other and stuff like that so yeah it's very cool for sure i mean you know I, I was a lighter uh you know a lot of you know most of my career in visual effects i was sort of focused on lighting and in a lot of ways for obvious reasons but you know even when i was you know a junior lighter i had to guess what a filmmaker wanted to make it look like right I was not qualified to be a DP, but yet I was making decisions that the DP should be making, right? Um, right. And I, I, I'm 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 good lighter, but the the vision of how a CG element should be lit should be made by a DP, not by a CG lighter, right? And yeah. so that's uh, you know I'm saying that in, as someone who did that for a living, but I I think that the DP, if you suddenly give them the power to actually do lighting it could make it look a lot better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, definitely what I saw on being on The Lion King and watching yep. Caleb working with Sam t together. You know, he was on the CG, from the CG lighting side, 
very, very, very talented lighter. Caleb, obviously, mm-hmm. an incredible career as a filmmaker, and them mm-hmm. coming together to work out how that relationship works. But the strength in the, in the partnership there, because it's bringing all of Caleb's experience from filmmaking and allowing him to actually light, even though at that point it was in Unity. Um, so and, and we had a very rough, very, very rough approximation of, of real of dynamic gi kind of faked gi it was just enough though to to really understand like at least the major decisions that you wanted to make maybe not some of the nuances but now the evolution is getting towards the nuances as well and being able to yeah. really really see it it's yeah it's super cool but to your point yeah, definitely for... great great to get have that knowledge and experience come from from there i think it's what i think is cool about it uh Ed, is 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 you know visual effects people are so used to the concept of a pipeline, right? Where things just yeah. go down and then you pass the buck down, right? So that's the sort of standard waterfall approach that people do. And I, I'm not, I think that waterfalls are easy as a, someone who's doing your task. Cause then you, you get something and you give something right. And then if you don't get it, then you're not going to give it. And you sort of sit there and wait, which is what a lot of lighters do when they're waiting for an animation update or, trying to give a comp update or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, and it's just, um, it's a very slow process, uh, but you know, it generally it works. So, but now with things like game engines or, uh, even things like Omniverse, which I also think is very interesting. Mm. Um, and, um, and Houdini as well with Solaris, right. It has really embraced yeah. sort of the USD process. It's scene assembly is a much more collaborative thing where everyone gets to work on everything at the same time <laughs> and then so we all see the repercussions of our decisions live on set or whatever we're doing and so that that allows you to uh i think what's cool about it is it allows you to experiment more because you can see the results quickly right I was like oh yep. did that work nope that's not going to work okay but you'll try it right yep. um i think that's that's the kind of kind of the cool thing and um and also, you know, back to the idea of the quality of real time, real time is cool because you make your decision when your mouse finger goes up, right? As opposed yeah. to uh, keep trying and trying and trying. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much more smooth, like you can keep going and going and finding exactly where you want to go. That's where I want it, right? And then you let go. Um, and that's much faster than sort of here's version 295, which, you know, we've been there for that to happen so yeah well i'm, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, the usd and on the way there in omniverse because i think they're the, the the idea of trying to bring everybody together in a human sense and a creative sense and what you're describing is the essentially bringing concepts of engineering into creative process being able to iterate quicker and see the result quicker as so you can you can make have more experiments you can fail earlier and and see what happens and yeah. base your decision on that and not get locked into it in pre-production and have to stay with that all the way through the movie you can yeah. you can work much more um you can iterate much more quickly and i, I mm-hmm. think it's really exciting to see all the people coming together and also the tech is really responsible for a lot of that it's so the the, the advent of uh usd and omniverse being able to bring not just people together but also software platforms together to work in real time and um well, yeah what are your thoughts on on some of that because i know that 
like every place has its own scene format traditionally maya has its, its and vira has its own scene format and then houdini has its own and now we're seeing more uh connective tissue being developed. yeah i i think you know i love um I, everyone had to have their own scene format by by choice yeah. right like there was no other solution right um and there there in terms of a quote-unquote universal format i mean we've been stuck with fbx for way too long uh you know and uh, no one really i don't know if people know where fbx comes from but it stands for film box is where the yeah. fbx format came from which is actually the company that made motion builder so that was the only way that has like we have to have some way of bringing in data into motion builder and they made this format called fbx but it hasn't evolved in 20 plus years um, and it didn't have all these things. So, that, you know, obviously there was an Olympic cash that brought in and that was one thing, et cetera, but it wasn't sort of this universal scene description, which is what USD is. Um, so, yeah, we very much became interested in in that. Um, I'm fascinated by uh, by the process because the what's USD file is not just a way to import and export data. It's a live file that, as the file changes, Omniverse changes Omniverse on the go, right? And 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 same with with Solaris. So, it's kind of like this great, uh, uh, great thing that's that's out there that that that's cool. So, I I totally love what USD is doing. Um, there's some politics, shall we say, of putting code into that format, which hopefully we can resolve. You know, yeah. and we can get over it. I think obviously uh, now the academy has uh, a specific branch of the academy that's going to make sure that everyone's playing nice, which hopefully we'll continue to do that. Um, and then, uh, but you know, we did, we succeeded with EXR. If we can do what we did with EXR and make that work for for uh, for USD, then I'm super excited. Uh, then the, the next big question is. Uh, what happens with uh, OSL and Material X, and if, if we say, can make, yeah. if we can get those to work nicely with everyone, then we'll be in good shape, right? So, um, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, and, and lights, I guess <clears throat> the idea of a, and they're very simple, essentially just points with a few numbers attached to them in a way, right? But yeah, some because there are different for. I mean, we have special flavors of lights, right? And or yeah. special kinds of uh, like like let's just put like sky models. There are like sixteen different sky models out there, right? Or 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 uh, you know, so the way that you do a, a a dome light or whatever. Yeah. So all of that is yeah. You're right. It's it's tricky, but you know, everyone's like, no, you have to do this one universal shader. Yeah, and maybe that does take care of 95% of it, but there could be other cases where we could do something cool with it. So we'll see. So we'll see. Is there, um, are you guys uh, experimenting then with USD in, in the V-Ray pipeline? Oh, no, no. V-Ray supports USD now. Right. So, so yeah, V-Ray, we've, uh, we've actually, it was interesting. It came a lot from, but there was a huge demand from a lot of our visual effects customers, obviously, um, to uh, look at Houdini. Uh, we've been seeing a huge amount of customers that are moving into the Houdini world these days. Yeah. Um, they're looking at it uh, specifically because of what uh, is going on in Solaris. For a lot of our customers, it's, it's a great solution for scene building. So in order to work in Solaris, you got to work in, 
uh, USD. So we really sort of had our heads down to that. And so we've support USD uh, for sure in, in Houdini. And uh, we've got a lot of support of USD also in, in V-Ray for Maya, uh, which is great. So we can sort of make this, this work, right? Uh, a lot of it depends on the DCCs, like how well the DCCs themselves support it. Uh, but you know that's that's where where it is. But uh, you know you mentioned you know there's a lot of similarities by the way between the USD file format and the V-Ray scene file. So technically speaking, it may not be impossible for USD files just to be uh, rendered directly uh, out of V-Ray if we wanted to. So that's something that would be kind of an interesting thing as well. So oh, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm yeah. So so we definitely know the importance of USD, and we're very excited about where that is and. Uh, and also Houdini obviously has been a really uh, doing some very cool stuff. So we want to make sure that we support uh, support that as well. But uh, as you know, uh, in Solaris, the way that the viewport works is it actually uses Hydra, which is the view uh, the, the render or the, the the viewport manager that's part of the same Pixar open source program, um, and that's what's directly rendering things. So. Uh, because we basically had to support Hydra for rendering, um, we have a Hydra delegate of V-Ray. So technically speaking, anyone else that uses a Hydra delegate uh, for rendering, we should be able to uh, adapt that or at least very quickly adapt it. Um, and um, so that's what we're working on. So if you look at other solutions, for example, Omniverse also uses Hydra. So that, those are also solutions that you could possibly you know, get involved with, shall we say. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> really, really cool to hear about your uh, perspective on where where industry trends are going as well in talking about, I'd love to hear a bit more about what you see um, in terms of people using Houdini, maybe because Houdini traditionally was an effects package that people just pretty much just used for effects and yeah. some other things, but basically it was effects. And now it's being used more for because of its because of Solaris essentially as a yeah uh, layout and lighting development being able to develop mm -hmm. in there and use it in other places and and other things too so you're seeing more people kind of migrating from some of the traditional tools that have been used towards Houdini it's definitely a trend you know so 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 people have been looking that they've been having situations where they can't necessarily uh, uh, you know. Uh, Scene assembly tools were not are failing. The scenes are getting very big. Scenes are getting very complicated, and some of the systems they've been using uh, have not been working right. Um, and people are looking at different ideas and, and and poking around. And there's definitely a lot of people looking at Houdini as an idea out there. And so it was interesting, you know. Like I don't want to, you know. I I feel that in the, you know, back, you know, five ten years ago. Pretty much, if you went to a visual effects studio, everyone had Maya, a license of Maya at their desk, but you know, a handful of people had Houdini, and I have a feeling that's going to flip. <laughs> right. So uh, everyone's going to be using Houdini because of its assembly tool at some point in some studios. Not everyone, but some ones it is, uh, and that's definitely something that's an interesting trend that we're definitely seeing. Uh, the other interesting trend um, is on the modeling side of things. Um, we're seeing a lot more people taking Blender way more seriously than just a goofy thing that people would 
do at home on their hobby time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's becoming a big thing. And I, I was joking, I was talking with uh, my friend, Chris Blythe. And he says, if you told me 10 years ago that the number one trending programs in visual effects are Houdini and Blender, I would have laughed at you, you know? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah. So it's anyway. happening. Biggest, biggest Google searches and, uh, and download numbers by just orders of magnitude in, for Blender. Mm -hmm. it's, crazy and not just because it's free either because it's at, it's actually since 2.8 become a really great tool it actually has some better tools in yeah. it than some of the paid programs and look who's donating to the blender organization yeah. right there's some big companies giving a lot of money towards the blender foundation so blender foundation ain't, ain't it's becoming as important as the linux foundation <laughs> in some right. ways you know so yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's and it's welcoming a whole new. Um, as as a person running a school, I get to meet a lot of people who are interested in computer graphics, obviously. But mm -hmm. the the really interesting thing at the moment, where I think before there's been a lot of um, mainly visual effects people, there's lots of new people being welcomed into this conversation, and people who have there's always been a lot of hobbyists, but sure. almost every industry now is getting interested in computer graphics in some way whether it's for simulation yeah. or, or visualization or whatever it is, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot, lot more people interested in CG now. For sure. And I think what's also become very interesting to me is especially with the trends in virtual production, obviously now there's a huge demand for people that know how to use game engines for those, those purposes, which is great that, you know, you're doing the, the great classes that you're doing and helping people uh, learn that, which I've taken your class, by the way, everyone should know that I fully endorse this class. I think it's great. And you guys should totally uh, get on to CG Pro and, and do that because it was really good uh, to do that. So obviously there's a demand for people to know that and there's great schools, schools like yours to, to do that. But I think what's also interesting is the trend of the generalist is back as well, right? Yes. Uh, yep. Because the generalists, if you're going to be on set, you can't be like, well, I need a lighter and a modeler and a textured artist. You need someone who can do all three of those things <laughs> right away and solve those problems in five minutes, as opposed to waiting for that pipeline to get it, take effect. So the yep. generalist is also a big, uh, a big interesting thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, again, echoing what happened in the, the dawn of visual effects and offline, there's they needed generalists then too uh, yep. for people to figure this stuff out and we're back in that same spot again we're all on a pirate ship again trying to figure out how this stuff works and <laughs> if you only know how to do one thing is yeah we learned that the hard way on the Lion King you know it's, yeah it's how to construct teams to be able to do this stuff and I I think it's there's some really really great um, bits of wisdom coming through here for anyone that's listening about what where the industry's going what you should focus on what types of roles there are and what tools to learn. If you kind of read between the lines here, there's some some great uh, pearls of wisdom coming from Chris here. So pay attention. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, you know, this is one of the things that's interesting also working at Chaos is that, you know, I worked, when I worked in visual effects, I was only hearing the perspective of whatever studio I was working for, right? But because I come from work at Chaos and we see a lot of different studios, I'm getting it. I'm getting hearing directly from the people, you know, who are responsible for their technology from many companies. So I'm hearing it from like, you know, hundreds of companies as opposed to just one. And so you can see these trends and 
it's funny when you go to these meetings and you hear that same thing over and over again. It's like, okay, this is not just one studio that's got some crazy idea. They're going to use Houdini to do all their scene assembly. This is a repeated pattern that's happening, right? Or something that's going on. So um, I think that's kind of, kind of fascinating. Um, and I think what's interesting about Houdini, because listen, there've been other tools and there still are other tools that, that are out there, uh, that do this kind of stuff, right? So there's, you know, Katana and Gaffer were basically solutions that were made around this and there, and those are great ones. But I think something that Houdini decided to do that was different is like, we're just going to go, we're going to build this from the ground up with the whole Solaris and, and, and all this stuff going on. And I know Katana also probably does something similar, but somehow Houdini's got some people's attention right now. And I think it's very interesting. Um, they've I was they've been very smart about their yeah. approach to it, I think, because they've, they've made it a first class citizen in Houdini. It's not translating it into, it's not working in Houdini native geo and then translating it is actually working in, in UST and even Pixar yeah. are using it for that because it's, become better than some of their own tools that they've written they, they, they and the adding yeah. proceduralism to it's just a, it's just such a natural marriage yeah i think it's really uh it's a really smart uh smart move uh so we'll see i mean i spoke to um to judith crow about it recently so that was pretty cool and sort of understanding i was like listen this is a it's a cool thing and i think you know the thing about usd is right now it feels very much based for the visual effects market, but there's going to be a huge demand for CG uh, in in the future and uh, in all areas. And USD could possibly be the HTML <laughs> of, or HTML5 of, of, uh, of, the, of, of CG, right? So right. the metaverse will be built on USD. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so I think that's going to be a, a big deal. Yeah, it's I, I would agree with you. And I think it's definitely worth learning. It's a, a little complex in in the ground level. But um, I sure. think jumping through using Houdini um, is a great way to get to know it because actually their documentation for USD is fantastic. It really is a great way to learn USD. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's going to become transparent after a while. Like you don't, you don't need to learn how to use HTML5 to use the internet, right? But yeah, you use it every right. day. And I think USD is going to be the same way, right? People are going to, you know, people are going to buy assets, and, you know, on the internet. And you know, I, I, I still believe that Web3 is going to be a big deal at, uh, at some point, and people are going to sort of continue to buy avatars and and NFTs and different assets, and those things are all going to people don't want proprietary systems anymore. I think they want systems that are universal. Uh, and I think and proprietary file formats are not necessarily, um, well, this is my opinion. I, just, I think they're just going out of fashion. So I think that's gonna be nice when when things like, like USD come along. And if, li listen, they've been formats that have been out there that are supposed to be, you know, meta SL and all these other weird things that came out. Uh, and they don't know his work. So hopefully we'll find other ones to solve those other gaps, like like the Material X one. And if if they play nice and everyone can use them where it doesn't favor any specific route that puts another product that, you know, uh, handicaps another product, then that would be be good. Because that's really the the key, right? Everyone needs to benefit from a universal format and it doesn't needs just shouldn't favor a specific group of things. 
Um, right. Which, by the way, was why a lot of people were skeptical about USD because it's developed by Pixar or Pixar makes RenderMan. So if it only serves RenderMan's purpose, purpose, then it's not going to be a good universal format. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. And right now, a lot of people are taking advantage. And it's good, and I'm I'm glad it's sort of it's still in a good direction right now. It seems like it's a good, it's a well-defined thing at a base level, and I think that it's emerging as a as a leader because of that. Some somebody else um, asked a question in here saying that they're starting off with Houdini and saying, is it better to use the general edition or the UE plugin instead? I got the um, UE plugin. Is that the is that the yeah, the, the Houdini? Engine, they probably mean Houdini, Houdini engine. engine. I mean, I would just start with Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> Because Houdini, I mean, Houdini engine is really just taking something you did in Houdini and making a little plugin out of it. That's right. Essentially, yeah. And it kind right. of presents a subset of what Houdini can do. So if you want to really learn what Houdini can do, learn it in Houdini. And then mm -hmm. it's much easier to go the other way. Yeah, because, I mean, you can write tons of different Houdini engines that you load with the Houdini engine. So it's not all of Houdini. It's just a subset of it. Uh, I would start with Houdini in a, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't do they have an educational version? I think must have. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah, the apprentice. Absolutely. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, apprentice is free. Yeah, go ahead and yeah. start with that. It's gonna it's just. It, it, sorry, go ahead. It's 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 just just keep in mind it's 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 different than other packages. <laughs> so it's going to be a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of a mind adjustment that you have to make when you start off. We actually have another not to promote too much, but uh, the, we have a class in Houdini that's really focused at generalism uh, and that's going to be coming up oh, in, perfect. in the near future. Um, but yeah, it's really focused on that on because there's a new conversation to be had around that. It's not effects. You know, there's a little bit of effects in it, but yeah. there's this new breed of people that want to use Houdini. And because Houdini has been such a, as you said, a, you know, it's a beast. It's, a, it's tricky to learn. They're trying also on the software side to make it to wrap it in tools that are more user friendly and make the user experience less kind of uh like programming but which is happening for sure it's still a little, a little tricky to learn but uh yeah it's becoming so powerful now that it's in my opinion it's so so worth learning and i think um some of the things you've said today have really echoed the the time that we're in favoring generalists the the fact that houdini can empower a generalist to basically do the work of 10 people in a traditional pipeline in some ways. Yeah. And, I think yeah. the one place where you're still going to see people doing things outside of Houdini are modeling, right? Because yes. modeling and, yeah. you know, right? Modeling in Houdini is not obvious. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, you'll, but, you know, I mentioned Blender is a big solution there, but I think, you know, other things are going on. And then actual animation and rigging. I think that some of the animation and rigging tools are still going to very much be uh in the maya camp for a little bit um and, yeah. and that's fine you know because then you can just bring in the usds of your uh <laughs> into solaris and then it'll work that way so i still think that there's going to be you know th those things that are definitely happening but in terms of in terms of assembly i think that's going to be interesting to see to see those solutions happen there yeah i mean it's essentially not as good at doing destructive type work like modeling and animation and those kinds of things that right. are building wiping out previous steps it's very good at doing procedural things but actually sure. the rigging um i mean animation is a pretty destructive process but rigging in most studios is procedurally driven it's not in general built by hand it's built by procedural tools that sure of course build compile rigs and houdini's getting 
actually really good with kinney effects and some of the new stuff there's okay. getting really good at procedurally rigging and empowering people in a very very houdini way like it's using geometry for bones instead of um... the way that it used to do it it's actually using points and geometry as the jo as the joints that's the so joints then, uh, all of the deformers and nodes from the geometry context are available in the rigging context by interesting default by doing that yeah it's totally mm. crazy concept but it works really well yeah starting to that's that part of it i think the animation side of it still yeah not not as great for sure but well, rigging. also it's interesting you know like it's not always the case but you know when you look at in the in the in the, in the vfx world animators were always the weird ones they were the least traditional people in the visual effects team right they they i've i've known animators who could barely use their email right like that and so they they were very good at finding an emotion like that you know it's an it's like acting right so if a good yeah. animator can really get the timing and this and that and so they were dependent on a very technical person doing a really good rig that could give the animator the tools that they needed to do it uh, and 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 then you know kind of go from there so animators i think are are still not necessarily are going to be special people and they should be <laughs> i agree i always thought i was going to become an animator and realized how many years that it took to become a really good animator yeah. and it just it wasn't it wasn't eventually the thing that i wanted to specializing because you kind of do have to specialize in animation yeah still yeah to yeah, get good at sure. it anyway yeah for sure well, um yeah it's been a, a a total pleasure having you on chris thank you so much for joining us um oh thank you know, yeah thank you we, we can hey can i can i other hour I can to... i play can i plug my uh my 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 other podcasts on your show yeah i wanted i wanted to ask you uh, actually as we close the anything you want to share with people i know sure we have a cg garage which is a amazing amazing podcast you kind enough to have us on and i would thoroughly recommend anyone who doesn't know it like of the one or two people in the world that might not know it already to go right. check out that podcast for sure um yeah cg yeah, garage please, has been please. around almost almost eight years so uh it's been qu uh, quite a ride i this year we'll probably hit our 400th episode, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and that's something, you know, it's not dissimilar from the kind of stuff we're doing here. I've been doing it for a while and it's been a lot of fun. I don't do it live, which I'm very jealous of. I love this live, uh, seeing all these questions come up. Sorry, I didn't get to answer all of your questions, but um, it's kind of cool that that's happening. And then uh, I also uh, spun off another podcast out of uh, G Garage, which is me and Dan Thron and Eric Sheely are very very passionate about movies um and that one is uh, called martini giant and uh, martini giant uh comes out every two weeks you can check it out martinigiant.com but also we generally do a show uh, on twitch every saturday and uh saturday shows um the, by the way, you should be prepared if you're on Martini Giant. They're three-hour episodes because we just get very verbose about movies. <laughs> uh, but but uh, uh, Saturday, if we if we don't do an actual podcast, we we do a, a watch party, uh, which is a lot of fun, and people participate in a watch party. So it's something that you should uh, you should totally check out. So that's MartiniGiant.com for that one, and of course, just look up CG Garage. Uh, it'll come up pretty quickly on Google search, and you'll find that one. And that has been around for a while. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And again, thanks for having us on as well. It was 
tons of fun when this was yeah flipped in the other direction yeah you, you should and you should yeah you should listen to jackie and ed's story and then come on to, <laughs> to the thing so it'd be really cool and anything else that you want to mention anything any anything else that people can follow you on or websites or social uh yeah i mean uh, obviously we have uh i mean there i have a, i have a twitter i'm at red eye tales uh on twitter which is r-e-d-e-y-e-t-e-t-a-l-e-s uh, and also, um, let's see what else can you do? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I go to events every now and then, or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm also, uh, helping out, uh, on the real time conference. I do some stuff there for them, which is fun. Oh, and, cool. uh, so yeah, so there's a bunch of things that I'm, that I'm involved with, but yeah, just totally, uh, totally check it out. Awesome. And, uh, the, um, the other projects you mentioned, um, Voltaku oh yes, and... Voltaku. So yes, absolutely. Sorry, Voltaku Studio is uh, is also pretty cool. Uh, they're doing the great stuff. They're working on a project called Kiltopia, and you should check out uh, Kiltopia. It's um, and they're doing other stuff as well. They're doing some NFT works and etc. And uh, that's with uh, Charles and Sally, and and uh, I've been working with them for for quite a while to do some of the stuff at Voltaku. So uh, totally look at uh, look at that project as well, and 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 uh, see what's going on if you're curious about their goals in terms of what the studio of the future looks like, and definitely trying to help them out with uh, some of the cool stuff they're doing uh, over at Chaos on that. Cool, and and obviously Chaos Group, the Yep, which is not just chaos.com. We got rid of the group. <laughs> oh, wow, that's that. cool. Yeah. Good, yeah, good that was expensive domain purchase. Say, <laughs> Anything less than five letters. Well, yeah, yeah it's a big deal. A chaos, well, the thing is, now chaos is actually quite big because uh, we've actually merged with several other companies in the last few months. There's this big thing that happened. Uh, uh, chaos is now over 750 people, believe it or not. Uh, wow. and it's, yeah. So, uh, chaos merged with a company called Enscape and then, uh, we acquired another company called Solindo. Um, and, uh, most of that, uh, that stuff is, uh, on the, on the, on, on the Arcvis side, but there's definitely, I would say, follow what's going on at chaos over the next couple of years. Cause you're going to see a company that's going to be very, very ambitious. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so yeah, very it's going to cool. be interesting. Yeah. I will definitely, I am mean, have been for years, but I will continue to. And I, I, I love following companies that are really innovative. I think the, the ones that you've mentioned so far today are the ones that are, that are pushing through and sustaining and growing and mm -hmm. getting everyone's attention. Those ones that really double down on, on innovation and growth. And yeah, it's a ex really exciting time. Yeah, and for sure. For sure. Yeah. I just, again, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your experience and wisdom and, um, yeah, it's been a total pleasure having you on. All right. Thank you so much, Ed. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. I hope we get to do it again. And uh, thanks also to all our listeners out there. Thanks for tuning in today if you heard it live. And you can also catch the replay on all the usual podcast channels. Uh, if you're interested in what we do, we're at becomecgpro.com. And we will be back again in a couple of weeks for another episode. Uh, thanks, everybody. And have a great day.